Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because He loves you so much. How are you today? Everybody's looking chipper. Got an extra hour. That's good. Yes, like Sarah said, we're in the Jesus Ask series. Uh, this week we're talking about the subject of who touched me. And I was thinking about um, all the different ways I've been touched in life, some good, some bad. Um, I remember when I was in construction, there was a couple times that I just remember waking up on the ground. And uh, as a tall person, <laughs> there were sometimes some low bridges, and I, I would just first thing I thought was, why did I take a nap right here in the middle of this construction site? And then people would run over like, are you okay? Like, I don't know. What happened? Why? What's going on? It's like, well, you, you were walking with your head down and you hit that board that was holding that wall up. Sometimes it was the owners that would do that. And that really was a confidence-inspiring thing for the owners of the project. I thought that was pretty good. There's also these kind of touches that moms are really good at, right? Like a warm hug. Or a little kiss on the forehead. My sons love that, by the way. Uh, just moms in general, if you find Otto or Oscar, just give them a little peck on the forehead. They really like that. <laughs> yeah, they are getting taller. It's getting more difficult. That'll make it weird. <laughs> also, from dads, right? Uh, dads, tell your sons they're strong. Mine are becoming monsters, and so it's true. I have to quit telling them that they're strong now because they always want to prove it. But sons need to hear, hear that they're strong. Sons need to hear that they're brave. And sons can sometimes be renegades, right? But that's okay. Let your boys be men. Let them be young men. And our daughters need to hear that they're beautiful. Our daughters need to hear those words and be touched and hugged and have the correct kind of embrace. So touch is super important, right? I was into boxing for a little bit. I never did box because I didn't want to get hit. But uh, I used to watch it on TV, and my favorite part in all of it was uh, when somebody would just get KO'd, flattened, you know, and the coach would come into the corner, <laughs> and I always wondered what they were telling him. Because when you wake up from being knocked out, you don't know who you are. And I just thought, maybe the coach is explaining what happened to him. Like, the guy's like, what happened? Well, you, you see that guy over there? Yeah. He touched you really hard in the face. <laughs> and that's why you're speaking cursive right now. Do you want to go back? I don't recommend it. <laughs> but that's why I love boxing. It was just fun for me to watch. There was also a time uh, we had some... I used to be a youth pastor in, in uh, central Washington, and one of my friends said, Jeremy, I want to test out this game with you. And again, whatever, I'll give it a shot. He said, just put your mouth on the end of this hose. There's an egg in the middle of it, and I'll blow on the other side. And we'll just see who who gets the egg on the other person's face. Well, I fainted and woke up with egg all over my face, just not knowing who I was, and introduced myself to people like five times that night because I couldn't remember my head from a hole in the ground because the ground touched me <laughs> real hard when I fell down. But this is a story about a different kind of touch uh, that comes from Mark chapter 5 and verse 25 through 34. And I'm realizing that I changed the font size on my, uh, oh, there we go. It reads this way, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors 
and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said, You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So I want to break this story down a little bit and put yourself in this place 2,000 years ago, dirt streets, mud huts, whatever you want to call it, but these people were breathing the same air that we breathe today, hearts that pumped blood, lungs that processed air. It's just time that has passed. This is a true story. So for 12 years, this woman had suffered with this ailment. 12 years is a long time. It says she had gone to the care of many, many doctors, all to no avail. It was likely that after visiting all these doctors, she was, she was cast aside and told that she was incurable, that this was just her lot in life until she was going to pass away. So she lived this life with no more answers, no hope in getting any better. It was super desperate for her. And not only that, because of the way she was, she was fearful of any kind of human contact. Because back in the day, this was Levitical law, and it said that if you had this ailment, had this malady, you could not be around anybody in public. So she would have had to have been completely and totally 100% disengaged from friends, from family, from small group, from the camel jockey club, whatever she was involved in, she would have had to have been completely separated from it, no way to participate, a life lived alone. And even anything she touched had to be clean. 100%. So she was known as this person in her community that nobody was allowed to be around. Just couldn't have her. And the embarrassment and the shame that would have come with knowing that if I touch anything, that thing that I touch is unclean. No good. Has to be washed or burned or thrown out. So she would have been super desperate, completely out of options, with nothing left to give. No hope. And then, as always, she hears about this guy named Jesus who's passing through town. And there's this little tiny glimmer of hope. So she said, I got an idea. I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to make a move because I'm tired of this life that I'm living. And I have to tell you, our little town of Montrose, we live, for the most part, there's a group of people, most of us in this room that live right here. Well, right here is a layer of people that have nothing left. No hope. Desperation and would likely do anything to have hope again. Just to have that feeling, just to have a little touch that gives them just a glimmer of hope. So this woman, she says to herself, this may be my moment. This might be the time in my life where I get to have some hope again, where there's salvation for me. So she decides I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna take this big risk and uh, makes this sneaky, desperate move. And I don't know, she probably would have had to cover her face, put on clothes that nobody would have recognized, and timed it just right, probably hiding behind a building until the right moment when she knew it was a direct line to Jesus, because she knew she was going to have to rub elbows with people. And again, everybody would have been unclean, including if she touched Jesus, Jesus would have been declared unclean. And again, this is biblical law that she's violating here. 
And how are you supposed to argue with a crowd of people that is following the law that was laid down hundreds of years before that says, you can't do this. Don't touch anybody. You're dirty. Can't be done. So she does it. She walks into the crowd, bumps around, bumps shoulders, and reaches out in the midst of people. Maybe somebody saw her and says, oh my goodness, that unclean woman is here. And she would have had to keep going. Reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak just for a second. And then what happens? She was immediately healed. And imagine the elation that she would have felt because it says she knew immediately that she had been healed just by a touch on Jesus' cloak. And Jesus, this is the part that really surprises me. Jesus asked, who touched me? And I don't want to dive too deeply into God in human form and what it means that Jesus was asking a question that he, you know, he didn't know the answer to because he's God in human form, right? God knows everything. Also says that Jesus was the second Adam, the second man that was birthed from God and created without sin. No sin was ever found in him, right? But apparently he had questions and God was still working through him. But he says, who touched me? In other words, I need to see who has this kind of faith. I need to see who made their way to me just to grab on just a little bit so that power could flow through me because that's how he knew. He felt God working through him. I love this part. The disciples go ahead and big brain it. I bet you it was probably Peter. He's like, I got this, guys. Let me explain to Jesus what's going on right here. Says, uh, Jesus, listen, you see the people crowding against you. I don't know if you're like numb from the neck down or something. Everybody's been touching you. And yet you ask, who touched me? I, some, I think probably in this instance I would have, if I was Jesus, which clearly I'm not, don't, please don't go around this afternoon and say, yeah, he said he was Jesus. That's not what I meant. Not at all. I am a carpenter. <laughs> but anyway, I think if I was Jesus, I would have said, you know, we call you the disciples. I think maybe disciples is a better option here. <laughs> That's a dad joke. <laughs> I think church should be fun. <laughs> so he looks at him and says, no, that's not the answer. I need to find out who reached out to me. I need to find out who touched me because one of these contacts was different. Somebody touched me on purpose. Somebody here knows who I am, is what Jesus was thinking. And this woman who is still there now is thinking, oh shoot, I'm about to be found out. God's grace was poured out on her through Jesus Christ, and now she's about to out her condition and who she is, and everybody's going to know. She's going to have to uncover her head and be recognized in public as that woman. And Jesus says things in the, in the middle of all this, but the point of all this is that God was at work. Because did you know that Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter at this point? That he was walking through this town on the way to another appointment. And then this woman comes along and grabs hold of him, and then Jesus says, wait a second, something just happened. Because God's always at work. He is always at work. There's never a time where God doesn't have a plan for you and I and the places that we go and the people that we see and the things that we do and the words that we speak and the, the time that we spend with our families and the time that we spend with our friends and holidays and high fives, all that kind of stuff. God is always at work in that. And I was uh, thinking about stories in my own life that, uh, like, well, how is that applied to me? Well, years ago, uh, I was on a job site and just showed up to check on progress on, it was this uh, house for Mike Campbell and uh, just showing up to check on progress, and I walked over to the guy that was digging dirt with the excavator, and I, all I said was, not expecting anything, I said, how's it going, man? 
And he, he shut off his excavator, climbed out, and burst into tears. I was like, I'm sorry, I'll phrase it differently next time. <laughs> but he just poured out that his son had just been released from jail, came home, he didn't know how to do this, this big, long sob story, and immediately I thought, man, this is a moment that God has put in my life. God has put this man in my life just to pray with him, and that's all I did. There was nothing special about it, just a time in my life where I felt God saying, you need to pray for this person. How many of you have had those types of situations? I bet there's a lot of you in here who have just stumbled upon a situation that surprised you a little bit. And even the question, well, what do I do now? But God's at work in all of that. And it says, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And this is what's the cool part about this story. Jesus looked around because he knew there was something else that he had to do. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The Greek word there for healed is actually saved. Because she is realizing that she had approached her Savior, not just somebody who freed her from this ailment that she had had for 12 years. So Jesus is saying, not only are you healed, but your faith has set you free. Your faith has set you free from the sin that condemns you. From all the things that hold you back, your faith has set you free. There's this obvious physical healing, but then there's work that Jesus does beyond that, and that's always the way it is. There's the first touch with people, and we experience this all the time when we're handing out groceries, and there's a laundry list of prayer requests that people will give when you hand them food. Or there's a whole bunch of extra thing that comes after a, how you're doing? How are you doing at the grocery store? Or just a hug. Or just a, a casual conversation that you have where somebody decides, I can trust this person at work or at school or at anywhere. There's always something that comes beyond that that God wants to do. And this particular road that this lady was on, 12 years, 12 years of this suffering until she finally met this little glimmer of hope and finally met her Savior. I was reading uh, Matthew 17, verse 20. I think it's going to pop up there on the screen right now. Is that it? Yeah. Truly I tell you, it says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's a crazy verse to me because what's the point of moving a mountain other than, hey, Mount Snapples is over there now. That'd be cool. People would switch the way they drink coffee in the morning maybe. I bet you it would make national news. Anyway, I don't understand exactly why Jesus said that, other than to say faith is found in the little things. Faith as small as a mustard seed makes everything possible. So what is it about these little contacts that we have? Well, I think it's possible that faith is not something that you conjure up and squeeze out and collect in your hand and then you're full enough of faith and then you dish it out. I think it's the little tiny acts, the little tiny steps that we take is the mustard seed. And that's what God was trying to say. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us in that verse is these little tiny steps that we take in faith through Christ, just finding a way to connect with people. God works through it and causes amazing things. And the greatest miracle of all is salvation. And there's been a lot of salvations in our church this year. And I think, how in the world is this happening? Well, it's the little stuff that you guys are doing. 
You know, I, uh, last year was the first year that we um, had the church in the Christmas parade. Does everybody remember that? It was awesome, by the way. Super cool. Well, we're doing it again. I remember thinking last year, I wonder what kind of effect this will have on our community, um, if it's worth doing. Uh, but my thing was, well, it's going to be awesome because we get to drive a trolley and have the band on the trailer, and it's super cool. And the whole community is going to see this crazy church that bought a trolley and uh, runs it around town. You know, it's a big expenditure. Well, it was a good enough thing last year that we're going to do it again, except, of course, we're stepping up. Did you know that we got third place in the Christmas parade last year? Yeah. Well, it's all right. <laughs> This year we're stepping it up a little bit. Uh, you'll want to be at the parade this year. I'll just say that. It's going to be noisy. Um, but yeah, this little tiny thing that we're going to do, drag this trolley through town, we're going to hand some stuff out. I'm trusting God that that's a mustard seed effect to show people in our community that maybe I should check out Grace Community Church. Maybe there is something about these people that would be a little different, and maybe I do need a little hope in my life. And for those of you that want to participate in that, you're free to walk around the trolley. Just get out of the way when the cha-cha slide starts. You'll want to be clear on that. There's a little peek into what's going on. But it's a great opportunity to disperse yourself into the crowd and hand somebody a flyer that says Jesus loves you, Jesus cares about you, and have a conversation with somebody. And all it takes is you being there to say that God has a plan for your life. And trust that that's the mustard seed that God want to work, wants to work through. It's these little tiny acts of faith. I remember when I was a kid, um, was probably 17 years old, my youth pastor said, hey, Jeremy, we're going to go to this church in a town called Marysville. And there's this guy there named Jerry Gaffney. And he has this prophetic ministry. And I think, whatever, that sounds, yeah, let's do that. And uh, so we went there, and this guy, I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, what in the world is with this dude? He looked, he, uh, the Harvey Porter, Harry Potter movies weren't out yet, uh, but there's that one guy in there who has the eye that kind of does this all the time. That's exactly what this guy looked like. If Jerry Gaffney happens to be listening on this right now, I apologize. I, I remember you as a handsome man. <laughs> anyway, he had this prophetic ministry, and uh, he would speak a little bit, and then we were just sitting there, okay, this is kind of cool. And then he just yells, all right, and says, everybody line up. Like, wow, this guy's intense. And there was probably 12 of us in the room, and he just went down the line and was saying stuff to people and, and sort of long, some people was long, uh, you know, things. Then he gets to me, and he looks at me, and he goes, you'll be faithful, and just moves on. And I thought, I don't feel like I got my money's worth. <laughs> but... I got to tell you, I thought of that so many times that a man stopped just quickly, looked at me and said, you'll be faithful. And you know what? It's been through my life. There's been hard times. And I said, you know what? I will be faithful. I am going to be faithful to Christ. I am going to be faithful to my Lord and my maker. And it's this little tiny thing that has made such a huge impact on me. And that's the kind of stuff that we get to do to the community around us. That's the kind of way that the mustard seed works through us. Whether it's at work or at play or at vacation or at home, it's those little tiny things said in faith through the working of God that make a difference in people's life. Because I think God has the ability, this creator God that we serve, massive, mighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, knows how to turn little things into huge things because he wants to more than we do. He wants to reach 
Montrose more than we do. So I'm at, the question is, where are we going to trust God enough that the little things are going to matter? That all the little tiny things that we know we should be doing and sometimes do, are they going to matter? Because I believe they are. And the story, at the beginning of this story, there's, there's this woman with no hope, but then she hears about Jesus. She hears about this man who's passing through town and everything immediately becomes different. And that was then, this is now. And it's interesting to note, again, that Jesus was surprised a little bit. That he didn't really quite anticipate what was going on. And I think we might be a little bit surprised when we take these steps of faith. Because Jesus has died and been resurrected and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But what was the stuff he said before he left? It says in John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So Jesus is gone. Jesus is back in heaven. But before he left, he said, now it's your turn. And why don't you be surprised a little bit by what Jesus wants to do through a touch or a short encounter or something like that? And why don't you take up the mantle that I've left behind because I'm sitting by the Father watching for those moments in your life? Why don't you start to be a conduit for what God wants to do in your city? Did you know that there's about 19,000 people in Montrose who are not affiliated with any church at all in the greater Montrose area? 19,000. We had a meeting the other day, and uh, I thought, yeah, Carl, uh, that, that's where we're, we're going to go get those people. Let's go get those. It's just 19,000. We got a building project planned. We'll just add chairs. <laughs> Let's get those people. 19,000. This church right now runs around 1,300 to 1,400 people. Little tiny steps from 1,300 to 1,400 people are going to make a huge impact. In our, in our city, in our county. Huge. Just little tiny steps. Not because of who I am or because of who you are, but because of God working through us. God acting in the mustard seed, moving the mountain of disbelief. And this Levitical law that bound this woman uh, for 12 years that said she couldn't go anywhere, that still happens today, by the way. There's uh, the old phrase, I can't go to church, I'll burst into tears, or burst into tears, maybe. Burst into flames as soon as I walk through the door. Tears and flames are not at all similar. <laughs> but people say that all the time. I can't go into church, I'm way too dirty. I won't fit in there. People will look at me, I'll stick out like a sore thumb. And it's not necessarily because this church here has made it that way, but that's what people think. That's what the world thinks about religion. That's what the world thinks about who they need to be before they come to a church building. And we can change that. You can change that for a person this week. Just tell them that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus will touch. Jesus will reach out. Jesus will heal. And our community needs to know that. You're not dirty. You're worth the encounter. Reach out a little bit because you're worth the encounter. And the mustard seed, the faith of a mustard seed is all it takes to take one little step towards somebody. And we have a couple programs that are coming up um, 
One is for foster care that's being worked on. It's called the RAP program, where the church can come alongside people and foster if you want, but just support those people who are in foster care because there's a lot of heartache, a lot of children that need help. Um, we're uh, doing our outreach on our city youth night, trying to figure out a way that we can incorporate people that don't come to a church at all, the 19,000. All that to say, part of the step, the mustard seed step, is to just support your church in prayer and support what the teams are doing here. Support the worship team that does all this stuff on a Sunday morning that ushers in Jesus by, by saying, hey, you gotta come check out this service that I go to. And prayer and, and your giving is just so good. It allows us to do so many things. There's these two more verses I wanna share with you. One is Galatians 2.20. says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <clears throat> and Jesus reached out to us with a death on the cross. and says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's not about me anymore. I have Christ in my heart and God wants to work through me. The last one is this, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. But what does it mean? God is working through you. Like it or not, <laughs> people are seeing Christ in you. And if you don't know what to do, that's fine. Offer them a pat on the back. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Give them a high five. Share a lunch with them, whatever it is. But trust and know that God is at work. Because he is. He's working through you because he promised he was. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you. <laughs>